All right. New guest this week, Stephen Robles. Great to have you on. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Tyler. I've been watching your videos for a while now. You, I mean, it's, I'm amazed at how much information you can just get out there to the world, um, especially in the Mac universe. Uh, what, what got me thinking that I should invite you on recently was that you were testing out every single USB accessory on the iPhone 15. And I'm like, well, that's exactly where my head's at right now. So let's, let's chat about it and, you know, maybe deconstruct where, where we are after having the iPhone 15 for a little while in our hands. And now that we're used to shooting with it, but before that, maybe give me a little more intro about yourself for anybody that hasn't come across your videos yet. For sure. I've been podcasting for a long time, like 12, 13 years doing tech stuff. I started the Apple Insider podcast in 2015. And so we just had our 500th episode actually recently. So that's fun. And wow. uh, in the last few years, I started doing video content on YouTube. I do some videos for Riverside and their amazing platform and product and then have my own channel where I do automations and Apple stuff. And so really trying to push into the video, which I had started like 10 years ago, you know, as, as many people sure, but, uh, but it's been a lot of fun. I've been, I had a lot of great feedback, so that's what I'm doing now. Cool. Yeah. I mean, we're using Riverside right now, so I, yes. I already know that it's, uh, it's proven itself. Great product. <laughs> and I feel you in terms of the, um, wishing I'd been doing this earlier. My, cause my story was that I, I was doing it and I stopped, which was, I, I don't oh. know why I would do that. It was, right. you know, I was in there at the right moment. And then like, this isn't important. This is just oh. a side project. Oh, no. Tur turns out YouTube is worth it. But uh, turns out, but it's still, yeah. I think it's still the golden age of creators. You know, I see a lot of news and a lot of talk about how it's, we're in the first inning, quote unquote, of like creator economy and, you know, just being a creator video podcast. So I'm still excited for what's to come. Yes. It's good. No, absolutely. Anybody that hasn't started yet, it's definitely not too late. And right bit of a news update on my side, actually, that's relevant to that is since my last recording, and I guess since the iPhone came out, I kind of discovered TikTok, or maybe I should say just TikTok discovered me. Um, it's been very I had good. that experience of like a very, a very viral video that really went kind of everywhere and got 10 million views. And it's, yeah. uh, yeah, it was just like, I, I don't know. I, I have this resistance to vertical video. I, I can't help it. I just, I don't, I don't like, I don't like it being so algorithmically based so that things mm -hmm. are presented to me as opposed to me seeking it out. Right. And I like a longer form conversation. I mean, it's why I love podcasting. I think there's just sure. so much that develops when you speak for an hour that, you know, can't happen in 60 seconds, but the reach is kind of undeniable, like just how far it, it, it can go both because of the fact that it's short, the fact that it's algorithmically driven and the, the vertical, you know, native to a phone format, all of these things just let it spread in such a bizarre, incredible way. So I guess I'm a TikToker now, but it's still weird. <laughs> You've been doing great on there. Yeah, I love your videos on there. And I will say, you know, if you want any hope of reaching people like 20 and under, you kind of have to be on that platform. Mm -hmm. And I've just been seeing a lot of the data, especially when it comes to podcasting. And like TikTok is it. I mean, people will spend hours scrolling on it. And I know for myself, I've probably heard so many clips of podcasts that I will have never heard of in a podcast app. You know, I, I see all these comedy podcasts and uh, even some tech ones. And I'm like, I, I still haven't listened to this podcast. I mean to, but I watch these clips on TikTok all the time. I've even watched like movies. This might sound strange, but I've seen like those part one through 10 <laughs> of a movie and I'll yep. watch them all, and now I'm like, should I watch this movie now, or have I watched it? I don't even know. So yeah, know, I've been there, bizarre. too. I yeah. was watching um, I Think You Should Leave gradually over TikTok, like one 
one skit at a time until I realized <laughs> I'm like, I think it's looping now and I've seen everything, but I didn't watch it on Netflix. So then well, I just went and rewatched all of it properly on Netflix. I'm like, Oh, this is a great show. I should have just watched it like do. this the first time. Yeah. That's probably what you should do. I, did, I saw the one with a uh, Michael Keaton with the McDonald's, uh, it's, you know, the dramatized mm-hmm, version mm-hmm. of McDonald's and the founders and all those that. clips. Yeah, I don't even know what the movie's called, but I watched all the clips, including the ending, and I'm like, well, I'm done with that, I guess. It was a good (laughs) Good movie. (laughs) Looks like it. Well, that's even some of my frustration is, you know, the the thing that took off for me was a clip of my YouTube video, which I put so much effort into the YouTube videos, and I kind of just throw things at the wall when it's uh, vertical content, but it was posted, you know, a horizontal video in a vertical black box so yes. you know you're only using a third of the frame and it's, it's uh, but it doesn't it's matter just painful it's People painful for it. me to watch it take off like that yeah anyway it was for my very first tiktok video i actually was a shortcut believe it or not and it was uh early on it was setting a shortcut to change your home screen wallpaper every day so i was creating this automation using unsplash and saying you know tap this for a new wallpaper i got ten thousand followers in two days and the video had like 700,000 views. And now I've gotten 10,000 followers over the last like three years. So right. it's just this bizarre that's, world. That's what I'm expecting now. Yeah. Yeah. So well, it's very okay. Since, since we're talking about it, since we're both podcasting and talking about TikTok right now, what's your advice for finding a clip in this? Because I find, you know, we're going to record for an hour here and then I'll, I'll be, we'll be done. And I'll be like, I don't remember what we talked about. What was the good moment? Like, how do I splice out something worthwhile from every episode? I don't know if you're throwing me a softball because I'm at Riverside, but the Riverside Magic <laughs> oh, actually, Clips feature but yes. <laughs> is an excellent feature for that. Good point. Yeah. So explain yeah, how so, that works. You know, AI tools are, are out there. And so, yeah, Magic Clips with Riverside, it finds compelling moments and you could just pull it out. I actually set markers while I record uh, a podcast here in Riverside. And then Smart. Riverside will automatically create- right now. 60 second clips. (laughs) And so when you're on your recordings page, but also I do a lot with transcripts. I do this with my YouTube videos and with podcasts and I'll bring them into chat GPT and I'll ask it certain things, generate titles and descriptions, but also like what's good moments, you know, and that's sometimes it can pull out some pretty good moments and then search the transcript, find it in Riverside, pull the clip. So that's typically what I do. That's actually really, that's way more complete advice than I even expected. That's great. I (laughs) I appreciate it. I'm glad I asked you. Um, Okay. Let's talk iPhone 15 a bit, though, and yes. the fact that you were talking, you're touching on shortcuts a moment ago. What it makes me think about is one of the. I'm actually going to start on a bit of a low point. Mostly, I am very okay. excited about the iPhone 15. Everything's very positive. Maybe the one thing that so far is falling the flattest for me has been the action button. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not bad. It's not. It's not any worse than the switch that I never used because my phone was always on mute. So that was, you know, this is the reason that they decided to put an action button on this phone is because nobody was changing it, right? You decide right. on either muted or unmuted and people leave it there generally. So it, having something customizable, something that's more adaptable, I totally get it. In the end, I've, I mean, I've changed it a few times. I've applied different, uh, I've tried some shortcuts on it. I tried using it as like a home screen button. Um, I know some people are using like drop down menus, which I haven't explored yet, but might end up being where I go next. Um, at the moment, it is launching Blackmagic camera yes, app, so yeah. that if I want to jump into more professional video recording scenarios, I can do that quickly. But the truth is, I mean, I'll go a week without pressing it. I, I, I almost never oh, yeah. end up pressing it. So is it just me? 
No, you know, it's funny. When it first came out, there was just this host of videos, including ones that I made, where you can make the action button do something different if it's orientated upside down or via landscape, and then if it's on a focus mode. And there was just, for me, too much cognitive load to figure out what is this button going to do mm-hmm. in this moment. And I didn't want to think about it that much. Uh, and I'll share what I did with I mine in a second. But also, I went to the Pro Max this year because of the 5X camera, and it's so far. I mean, the action button is just so far away from where my hand usually is that I don't think to press it, or I don't even, yes. like, it's not, you know, just convenient. So what I've landed on is I do a shortcuts folder, uh, which is kind of a nicer-looking menu. Honestly, the two things that I use is an Apple TV shortcut and an iCloud password shortcut, which jumps me directly to iCloud passwords in the settings app uh, because I'm trying to use that more and more, and it's a pain to go in the settings app, passwords, all that. So that button sends me straight to the passwords, and then the watch TV shortcut, it will wake one of my Apple TVs. It brings up a menu. I say wake this Apple TV, and it opens the Apple TV remote control on my iPhone. Those are the two use cases I have found that use it. Right. But it is a little disappointing that I don't know. I don't I don't use it as much as I would I thought I would. Well and I know you're a shortcuts power user to some extent. And and but I was about to say that this this reminds me of how I've ended up the place I've ended up with shortcuts where, you know, I see the feature released, I understand why shortcuts is so powerful and you know, it you can you can make long complicated tasks quick and easy. I feel the same way with the action months. Like I know this could do something, but both of them, I just don't end up using it because I don't think of, oh, here's the thing that I would replace in my life. Here's that one longer process that I could quickly access. And what you said about the the fact that you're on the Pro Max, I mean, I'm on the Pro and I also feel like the placement is just far enough away that it's not quicker to reach there. And there are there's enough times that, you know, I'm rarely trying to press it, but then I, I'm like, okay, hey, I remembered the action buttons there. And then I turn up the volume and I'm like, well, why did I bother? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I actually just uh, played with a Pixel 8 for a little bit and they have all the buttons on the one side, the volume and the sleep button. And so, I mean, for me in future versions, I feel like the action button would make more sense on the other side. But also with the sleep button right there, I know that you might get inadvertent uh, screen turning off. But I still, a part of me still misses the mute switch. Uh, one, because it was a nice just kind of fidget uh, thing. <laughs> you know, you just flip it on and off sometimes. But I've lost the visual indication of can I just glance at my phone without even touching it and see that my phone is on mute. I'm one of those people that actually go back and forth. Sometimes I like it unmuted if I'm home and, you know, my family's out and I want to get texts or whatever. Uh, and so I would actually go back and forth. And I, I miss that ability to just glance at it, see the little orange strip and know it's on mute. And so... Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm still undecided on it. Overall, I, that design philosophy I usually think is the right one of physical, visible, t- touchable, you know, like a tangible change. If you have changed something in a setting, it's reflected in the real world somehow. I, I like that as often as possible. So I'm with you on that, even though I didn't end up changing it very much. But let's yeah. let let's not let's not dwell on on the one thing that we haven't figured out. Maybe next year it'll be all different. We'll have a great use for the action button. But um, what's been what's been good? Like, what are highlights for you on the iPhone 15? What have you loved? I mean, the the camera I think is amazing. You know, I think there's a lot of conversation about oh, I miss the 3x or the 5x. I've really been enjoying the 5x lens and photography and video. Uh, we recently went to North Carolina. We were in the woods and went on a hike. And I used the 5X lens to great effect. I felt like, you know, I was standing on a bridge. Some of my kids were kind of by a waterfall far away. 
and the amount that I could zoom in was just wild. It was really impressive. And so, and it works with video too. And I imagine if your kids are at sporting events, I've seen some images and photos from like concerts, people using the 5X camera. I do feel like it's a, it's a worthwhile change. And the 3X, uh, some people say that they use it a lot. I, I never found myself using the 3X very much. Uh, one, because of the quality of the lens, but also it just was an odd distance. I would typically go 2X uh, or move you know, closer to the uh, to the subject. Whereas the 5X, I feel like it's actually giving you enough of a throw where you wouldn't be able to physically move that much uh, if you were just trying to make a 1X or 2X lens work. So uh, I've really loved the camera. And then we'll, we'll get into all the USB-C stuff later, but the USB-C port's been wonderful. It's been right. great. Yeah, I mean, well, this this touches on something I was talking about on Mac Power Users with, with David Sparks was saying how I feel like the, the way to think about this 3X versus 5X is... Some of the conversation has definitely focused on the size of the number is the quality of the feature. Five is bigger than three. It's a, that's a better feature. I think you need to think about what you actually do with your phone. Like what use, why do you zoom in? And I am usually in a more like traditional, like, you know, working photographer mode where I think about things in terms of like the, the final aesthetic more than documenting. Whereas like the, what I think people that love the five X like the most is that it leans into the more like journalism side of photography. So in, you know, if you're a photojournalist and you're traveling around the world, you need to have at least one big zoom lens with you. The 120 millimeters is you know, of, of five X is relatively long. Uh, you know, a, a 70 to 200 millimeter would be like the standard zoom that you bring around with you all the time. And, um, so, you know, it gets closer to that of like, I need, there's a thing that is way over there and I need to see it. Um, but it can be a little harder to fit everything into frame. There's, I think more often than the three X you'll, you'll end up in situations where you're like, Oh, it's a bit too far. I can't quite fit it. And then the 3X, it's, you know, well, you're not, you're not reaching as far, obviously. Like you can't have that same, it's not as good at a concert. It's not as good if there's a cute squirrel in the field or, you know, like if it's about like reach, and this is kind of obvious, right? I mean, it's a longer lens, but there is something, the advantage of 3X, why do I keep calling Why do I call it X as well? I mean, it's actually three times, but of the, you know, it's close to a standard portrait lens it's equivalent to 77 millimeters and the standard portrait lens would be 85 millimeters so it's very close to what a, a traditional photographer would use all the time whereas 120 is less often used for the for the type of work that i do so i've generally right. found the three to be more useful but I just want four lenses. I mean, that's the real answer in the end. We just need, <laughs> we need to have all of them, keep them coming. There will never be enough lenses on my iPhone. It's it's going to be a stovetop at one point. I feel like portrait mode, while I know like traditional photographer, you, you know, I, I'm not a pro photographer. I did some like travel, like landscape stuff. But, you know, I think for most people, portrait mode has trained them to stand a certain distance from the subject, namely like a few feet. And if you have kids, I mean, typically you're right on top of them anyway. And so I think for most people, they're going to use portrait mode for a portrait photo. And if they want a longer lens, it's because they're at the beach and they're trying to take a picture of a boat or they're at a sporting event or a concert. And so I don't know, I, I've been down for it. And I imagine the 5X is going to come to the pro size next year or the year after. And so I'd, I'd, I think the 3X is not long for this world unless we get four to five lenses on the back. Like this saying. is what I can't figure out is like, what will be the long run of it? Because the, in, in most cases, 
when I see comments about being, you know, like Samsung did it better. Samsung already has it, uh, which there's, there's <laughs> they faked a moon photo. Sure, I'm not buying yeah. it. <laughs> there's no shortage of that, but this is the one case. Well, there's a few cases. This is one of the cases where I, it's actually true that like you get a better lens selection. I mean, it's that, that is not untrue. And, you know, with, with video, I think like iPhone just blow, blows all the Android phones out of the water, but in terms of still photos, like Samsung and the pixel are very competitive. They look great too. So there's, there is an advantage to having that fourth lens. I, I don't know. I hope we get there eventually. I don't know exactly yeah. what the arrangement needs to be, but I, uh, you know, I just, I don't want there to, I don't want those comments to be right about like, uh, you know, <laughs> Android was already there, but no, no, they're not right. Uh, let me, let me ask you this though. I, I interviewed Austin Mann uh, last year with the 14 mm-hmm. pro and we talked about the photographic styles, the tone, you know, you can set a different default tone. And now we also have the new default, uh, 24, 35 millimeter, uh, for the one X lens. So what have you switched those to as a photographer? Are you sticking with just regular one or do you have like 1.2 or how, how have you set that up? I think that, well, so I actually just yesterday, I disabled the, the little crop modes. Um, okay. but that's not advice. I don't necessarily think everybody should, because what that allows you to do is compose the image in a way that might end up being more flattering to the subject. Um, when you crop in, you're still getting that same compression effect of people's faces. That's a little bit more flattering. And it's basically because you're moving them like further from the edges of the frame. You are looking at them a little more straight on and you're stepping back to fit them within that frame. So all the advantages are still there. It doesn't lose that much resolution. You know, for most use cases, it's fine for the way that I'm shooting. I am taking every photo to be as good as possible and last forever. Typically, Um, And it's a bit of that difference of like, you know, are you trying to capture, you know, your wife performing the orchestra a mile in front of you and you just want to make sure that you captured that she was there and and you're not going to print this photo. This is more of a just to remember the moment, but it's not about, you know, an artistic expression. It's about remembering uh, versus, you know, is it about that? I want the composition to like end up in a place that maybe I print this photo. So for me, I want every photo to be that highest possible resolution. If I'm going to crop it, I'm comfortable doing that later. And, and I am comfortable. Like, I think cropping it a little bit is totally fine. You're not giving up enough that it's a problem. So I'm going to leave it at one, but I think it's helpful for a lot of people to learn more about photography by using that 28 millimeter and 35 millimeter. Hmm. Now, when it comes to photographic styles, I actually, I think this is a missed opportunity for Apple. I think they had the right idea. I re- like this idea. This is a great idea. It touches on what Fuji has been doing and why Fuji has found a huge place in the modern camera market. You know, I think they're, they're number fourth, which is uh, number four <laughs> in terms of sales, which is, you know, actually yeah. quite impressive. Yeah. Um, and out of kind of out of nowhere, right. They, they were, they were, kind of falling behind at one point, everybody had sort of forgotten about them. And they came back by having interesting design and interesting built-in film emulation that made your photos look really beautiful and interesting in a filmic way right out of the camera. And I think, you know, there's, there's elements of that, of what Apple was hinting towards. They're like, well, some of the reviews will look at the Samsung uh, photos and say like, oh, they're more punchy and they're more saturated and that makes it better. Well, now on the iPhone, you can do that out of camera, you know, it's because it is, that is just a creative choice by the manufacturer. Like if it's saturated or not, isn't about quality, it's a decision. So you can make that decision yourself. 
the way they implemented photographic styles just does not do very much. It is, it is such a small adjustment that it's really the difference between, uh, you know, setting your white balance correctly or, you know, minorly adjusting the contrast in post. But the thing is I edit most photos that I'm going to post later anyway. And that edit is so they just totally wipes away any difference that f photographic styles made because they're very subtle. Most people do not notice the differences as you move those mm -hmm. sliders around. Um, so the, the you know the only one that maybe and actually now that we're talking about it maybe I might turn up the warmth a little because sometimes I find that the phone, uh, especially in video mode, will bias towards colors that are cooler than I want. So may, you know maybe mm -hmm. a default warmer tone will hit the white balance better than I want, but that's just not really what that's not what I think the feature should be. I want them to be like, no, here's like a great looking film emulation that like gives you that punch that we had in the nineties with a point and shoot camera or like, you know, just give me something really like interesting and exciting because all of the built-in colors from an iPhone, same with using the photos app. They're not, it's not beautiful in the end, you know, it's not, it's not that interesting. Mm. So I think they could do better. Um, do you, do you use it? Do you keep it on? I, again, since I'm not a pro photographer, Austin Mann said he just turned up the warmth a little bit, so I do exactly what he did, and I've never touched it since. <laughs> so I, it is a, a little warmer. Uh, but I'll go through the different, like, styles or whatever, and, and like you're saying, I see the difference, but it's not enough for me to, like, have a strong feeling to be like, oh, yeah, I want to do that one. Uh, but I almost wonder if they were too different. Uh, I used to work at Circuit City back in the day when it was actually a thing in the uh, TV department, and I remember, you know, every TV is cranked up the saturation and brightness because that's what people just react to. That's what they I see first look. thing. <laughs> and it was just, they look gross, but people are like, wow, look at those colors. And so I wonder if it was actually like too drastic. Like if, if Apple put like a vivid setting in the uh, photographic styles, you'd probably have a lot of people choose it and then end up with kind of like gross looking photos. Right. So maybe the subtlety is okay, uh, but I just pick these typically just turn up the warmth a little bit and I've left it sure. there. And but good, th good. This is my, part of my complaint is that the, the settings they give you, like if you use, cause there's still presets in there, right? Like, like filters, there yeah. is a vivid filter and stuff. Yeah. They're bad. And I see people use them and they're ruining their photos. You know, if you add the vignette that Apple offers you, um, there are many ways to do a vignette, like to in, in post, right? If your lens isn't doing it, right. um, you can add it the way that Apple does. And it's effectively just drawing black around the borders, but it doesn't interact with the image properly. And when you do vignettes correctly, it's also manipulating the saturation. So as those mm -hmm. corners get darker, the, the darkness impacts the colors as being more saturated. It will impact darker colors more than light colors. There's just all these details, but like, this is how you make a vignette look real. Right. Apple throws it in the app, lets people do it as a preset and does like the nineties or not ninety, like the, you know, the old Instagram filter version of it. And I'm just, yeah. I'm surprised because modern um, editing apps can do a much better job. So I, I think they can step up their game there still. Yeah, I will say I, I did take a number of um, like uh, pro raw photos uh, with the new camera, and I do have to say those forty-eight megapixel images. You bring that into an editor, like those are amazing, you know. And and that just kind of you don't have to worry about photographic styles if you're doing pro raw and the raw stuff. But uh, those photos are just awesome. So <laughs> that's my impression. So um, the other huge thing for me has been has been video, and uh, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a lot about log. Um, have you shot with log much and how do you feel about it? Like, is it something you were using before the iPhone? Is it, has it been useful to you in general? 
I, again, not a pro filmmaker or photographer, so I don't shoot log. You know, I, I shoot on like the Sony standard picture profile. I've tried S-Log. I've tried log. I've bought 18 different LUT sets. I just bought one from you this morning. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, and uh, you know, yeah, you're welcome. And it's great. Like, I understand it. Uh, but honestly, for the kind of videos that I'm making, it's not, I think, that big of a deal. You know, mm-hmm. no one is commenting on the cinematography of my talking head in this room. And so I typically don't shoot log. I have found when I use it, if I'm purposeful about it and I used your LUT and you made some adjustments, like you get a great image out of it. And a lot of people are saying that the log feature in the iPhone 15 pro is what makes it pro, uh, you know, even apart from all the other uh, features that are in there now. So I'm glad that it's there. I might use it periodically if I'm going to try and be like fancy about it. Uh, but yeah, I stick with the standard, but you have thoughts on log, I assume. <laughs> I do, yeah. I mean, it's I'm almost I'm never sure how much to talk about it because it's this point where I I think this year will be a bit of a turning point for how the iPhone is used in the professional world, but it's um, sort of confusing for regular users to understand why or if that means that they should also be using it. You know, that's a great question. Like I'm raving about how great log and ProRes on the iPhone are. Does that mean you should chew with it? Most people should not. Um, It is, you know, the ProRes files are enormous. And if you don't understand the post-production pipeline for manipulating log footage, it can come out looking worse. You know, if you just shoot log and then you go into the tap the edit button on your phone, turn up the saturation and contrast. It'll look worse than if you just, you know, if you're doing that, don't just shoot normally. Cause it's not, you're not getting any advantage there. There's a way of working with it. Like, like you mentioned the LUTs that I created, it, it, the, the great thing about log is once you're in a professional pipeline, it is a known color, a known curve, a known contrast curve that you can then manipulate to other standards. So Apple mentioned ACES in the keynote, which is, it is a common um, standard used by the Academy of Motion Arts and Sciences that um, it's not, it's not actually even considered to be the best one, even though, you know, obviously that they put on the Academy Awards. So you'd think it's like, that's the bar. There's, there's others that a lot of people use. There are a few standards out there, but whichever one you're using, you can now bring that iPhone footage in and work in the same way that you work with your red cameras and your Alexas and your Sonys and whatever is on set, you can almost match your iPhone footage and it gets incredibly close. So I think if you're looking for the best breakdown about this, Stu Mashwitz did a very helpful explanation. I'll put a link in the show notes. Just here's what log is. Here's why we use it and show some examples. Well, and then also I would check out uh, Gerald Undone did a dynamic range test, which I was really mm-hmm. curious about that. Like, how does it work out on the charts? And it looks like dynamic range, of the iPhone 15 looks, you know, similar to the like mid high performing mirrorless cameras. So it's, it's not as much range as an Alexa, which is not surprising. Cause that's a hundred thousand dollar <laughs> camera, but it can sit very comfortably right next to a $3,000 camera, right. To something like a Sony FX three or the Lumix S five two or the, you know, Canon R five, things like that. You yeah. can just match that footage. Okay. So my question then for you is me as a, 
prosumer videographer will say, I've not typically used the iPhone a lot uh, in my video production because I have my Sony here and it looks great. But now I want to use my iPhone more because I can record directly to an external SSD. I don't have to worry about my phone storage, which was another thing that just prevented me from naturally using it. So now I have three choices when I film ProRes. It's HDR, SDR, or Log, like you're saying. Now, I, for the first time, was like, you know, I can shoot HDR. Let me try this from beginning to end. And being the first time I ever edited in HDR, I didn't realize, like, you really got to change everything. Like, you know, I had to create a new Final Cut library. Uh, I, I don't know if I needed to, but this is what I did. You, <laughs> I created you a new do, library. Yeah, you, do. you do, yeah. And the, and the whole library has to be, like, Rec 2020, I think it is, HLG. And then editing can I, in. Can I, can I guess yeah. the ending before you get to the punchline? Just guessing. <laughs> okay. Did it yeah. look bad in the end? <laughs> it was a little harsh, I think is maybe the mm -hmm. best word. And uh, I tried my best. I was like, I, I edited in. I, I then pulled in clips that were not HDR. And I was like, right, this is going to look terrible. So I'm like, I can't do that. I, d I edited the thing. It's all HDR. I go to compressor whenever I export my videos. And then I had to figure out the settings there as well because none of my presets were HDR. And so every time I put it on one of my presets, it just went back to SDR. I was like, okay, figured that out, you know, the 2020. And mm -hmm. then once I uploaded it, you know, I had a couple people say like, oh, I watched this on my TV and it looked great because it's HDR. It's like, cool, I guess. But for me, I know when I come across an HDR video like on YouTube or even like scrolling Instagram, I'm like, ah, this is so bright. Like, it's just not like all the other things. Yeah. I don't know if I want this. And my video, like you're saying, I was shooting outside because I was like, that's where HDR should be the most useful, right? Sunlight, it's bright, dark. And I just found it like it didn't feel great. And I don't have great words for it, but it did feel a little harsh, like you're saying. And now I'm wondering, I've maybe SDR, maybe I do log and apply the LUTs. And so I'm kind of in that place where I'm not sure what I'm going to do going forward. I think it's really easy for me to give the advice that almost, almost everybody should be working in SDR. I know why Apple is promoting HDR as like, look, look at what you can do with minimal effort. I turn all of it off. I do not work in HDR in anything. I don't let my photos be displayed in HDR. I wish I could turn it off on Instagram. I mean, I just, it, it's not at a place where consumers know how to master things in HDR. And that's not a slight against the format. HDR can really look amazing. It just needs more massaging, more understanding. And I find you even need to shoot for it. So the, the best example I saw of that was the way that the third season of Ted Lasso, which I was watching at the same time as Daisy Jones and the Six, which was an Amazon show. And the there was just a night and day difference of how they treated HDR. And in, in Daisy Jones, what I would see is that like little points of light in the background, like there's a lamp over here and the moon is over there. And there's some little speckles of light that kind of burst through, right? Or if the sun passes through a shot, the sun is brighter than the rest. But for the most part, if you're, let's say you're sitting indoors in a restaurant and you can see a window, the window is not br so bright that it's drawing all your attention. Meanwhile, in Ted Lasso, the way that they treated it, and these are both big budget productions they, with professionals that totally know what they're doing. But in Ted Lasso, they would let, say, the whole sky would clip into that brighter HDR zone and start like radiating at you. And I'm like, this is, this is too bright. Like I'm kind of squinting at my screen. That's not, that's not what the experience should be like. So it's so it, it's, it needs such a gentle touch. Um, the kind of HDR that I like is when it's like, you don't, 
even notice that it's happening because it's just those little points of light where you're like, oh yeah, that is kind of twinkling a little bit extra. But if, if you notice and it's shining at you, it's too much. So yeah, generally I think just avoid it. <laughs> Shoot SDR. Um, <laughs> you know, Lightroom just announced uh, being able to master photos in HDR and their implementation was quite nice because you can, you can be very subtle with it. Um, and I find it hard to find, to get that same subtlety in, in the tools in Final Cut Pro. So a big part of the problem with HDR is it means some very different things, right? What it meant when we first were discovering it with photography is you take multiple exposures as a way of preserving more dynamic range in the final photo. So whatever is outside the window, you can see it in the end, right? But then in terms of like finishing a video or a photo, it's also a delivery format, right? It's a standard of like, here's right. how we display it. And that is, it's totally different. So, you know, I, I think you'll be able to see that background just as much if you experiment more with the way that you're doing SDR, there's ways to still feel that rich background because I don't know, look at your favorite Roger Deakins movie. Look at the most beautiful movies you've ever seen that are older than five years and they weren't mastered in HDR and they still look amazing. Right. So the, right. There's, there are ways using the, the traditional traditional methods to preserve all those details um, and I think they're actually easier to achieve than than when you're trying to do HDR. But <laughs> and I also I, all that to realize too. Yeah. I edit on a studio display, which after all of that, I was like, that's not an HDR display, right? Yes, <laughs> so I'm not even totally. seeing what I'm supposed to be seeing. And half so, your viewers yeah. aren't watching it on HDR too, and yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Um, so. so the the use cases of of log. Um, I'm saying most people don't know it, need it. I think that you you would put it actually to, to use because just because you're publishing videos as part of your professional life, having each of them look as good as possible is worthwhile. So like you mentioned with USB-C, being able to record externally, first of all, that lets you manage the files, uh, lets you control the file structure much more easily because I find that if I shoot a whole bunch of ProRes onto my phone and then I plug my phone in, as I download, it wants to show me every photo and video I ever took yeah, as I'm downloading. Nice. And I need to plug it in because the ProRes files are so big, but I can't, you know, so it's actually, that is a, a bit of a problem right now. So it's much more useful to shoot externally. And then the, oh yeah, the other, I mean, the huge advantage is that it also is tone mapping differently. So when you're recording normally with the iPhone, you're going to find that like blacks will be lifted a little bit more and look a little bit too bright. The HDR effect is more visibly strong. And I just think they are treating all of that, that tone mapping a little differently when it's HDR. One thing that I really appreciate that Apple did well, and most camera manufacturers do not do this. When you import iPhone footage that was shot in log to Final Cut Pro and use their built-in LUT, it looks exactly this like it looks very very similar to what comes out of the iphone like it matches mm. your iphone footage perfectly and you know i've got the i've got i've got canons and lumix and sony cameras and i apply the manufacturer's lots for that and it does not do that like they don't all look the same they don't look perfect i don't use the manufacturer lots because they so uh, yeah, you'll get that iPhone look if you use Apple's LUT. The reason that I developed a different one is because the Apple's LUT looks like phone footage still, right? It's like very contrasty and I don't know, it looks like a phone. So I tried to develop something that looks more like a traditional video camera. But um, you are really able to make those choices later if you want your shadows to be darker, which most professionals would lean in that direction. Like you, you absolutely can. So uh, anybody that is like delivering pro video content you really should experiment with log. Uh, now is the time to learn how to use it because it's 
on our phones, which I don't know, it's still crazy to me. So I think we're going to see a lot more phones in, in real production environments, like on big sets and the footage ends up getting used because you can put a phone in places. You can't put a bigger camera. You know, I think it looks better than GoPro footage. Um, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons that it can be very useful to shoot on a phone. So, um, I really think this will be a turning point for big productions and iPhones. Sure. And just for content creators, you know, podcasting with an iPhone has just been such a headache in the past with a lightning adapter, you know, lightning to USB rarely worked in many apps and it was just cumbersome. And so already I've used the USB C port many times, just plugging in a USB mic and then also going crazy with like USB hubs and everything else. Right. And so I think it opens up a whole world of possibilities now. Well, yeah, I'm doing it right now. I just sat down and plugged my phone into the computer and that's the, that's the camera I'm using for this podcast. So <laughs> let's, let's dig into kind of what you've discovered so far and what I've been seeing in terms of USB-C usage. And this is one of those, like, because we're in the first moments of it, we don't, I don't think we fully understand the ways that this is going to kind of open up new possibilities of what is the place of an iPhone in our life. And I'll maybe start off with one of the, the craziest like visual examples, uh, you know, I saw uh, you covered in one of your videos of uh, you can attach a Bluetooth keyboard and a mouse and plug your monitor into it and just run it as a computer. And yeah. that is crazy. I don't know why anybody would really do that. But I think yeah. there's like, a, it, I think it means something that you can use your phone as a full blown computer. It's going to perform better than a netbook did 10 oh, years yeah. ago. Um, it, it, that means something even if it's not going to be used that often. And I think there will be uses like that that we're not thinking about yet. And it means the iPhone will become even more ubiquitous in our tech universe than it has been up until now. Absolutely. And the data throughput with USB 3, you know, I don't even know if like medical devices and other arenas uh, being able to attach peripherals and accessories, I think it's going to be powerful. What I have discovered is the data throughput is one thing, and then also the power, pro, uh, how much power it can provide to the accessories you're connecting to it also is a big factor. And when I first got the the phone, I knew I just want to connect everything to this. Let's see what works. <laughs> you know, let's see what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. uh, and there were some things at first where I thought, oh, I guess it's not going to work, namely audio interfaces. I have a, a, a Motu two-channel audio interface. I can power it from my iPad just fine and any other computer. I plug it into the iPhone and it didn't turn on. And so I thought, okay, audio interfaces are a no-go, maybe just USB mics. Later to find out, it depends on the interface you're using and if you're doing a powered hub. And I realized if I have a powered USB-C hub, use that same interface, it'll work. And the iPhone recognizes it. And Ferrite recognizes the multi-channels and you can record multi-channel audio. And I will also try to focus right Vocaster 2, another audio interface. That one works directly into the iPhone. No That's power right or USB-C. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And uh, you can actually plug it right into the iPhone. No USB-C hub or power needed. So it's just very, uh, it's inconsistent, which I understand why Apple is not like going to say, use it with interfaces or use it with this. But it might work in certain workflows with the right equipment. And it's been fun. Yeah, yeah, I, I think um, that some of the first reaction was that of like, oh, it doesn't work with everything. And like you're saying, I think a key to it is that your the iPhone only has so much power, right? I mean, the battery's not that big. The battery's big enough to run the phone for a while, but the trick to getting like everything to start working and it really can do some incredible things and take off is getting external power going into it. So right. again, I'll 
try to remember to include another link in the show notes specifically for a, you know, a power delivery USB hub that will work. So you just need to make sure that a battery is running into it. And then whatever draw you're getting from everything else is going to work. And it's just like, it's like this magic, it's like magic. It's like, really? I, I was, I was shocked. I, you know, when I, cause I think you were the first one I saw plugging audio into it. And you're like, oh, it doesn't work. I'm like, of course. That's, of course. Like, you can't do right. audio and uh, run it to a hard drive at the same time. Like, that, there's no way. And now we're seeing, like, no, you can do that and you can run it to an external monitor and Crazy. more, you know, uh, and <laughs> Ethernet. More. And uh, like, this is, I mean, it just, th there used to be that, like, rigging up an iPhone, like attaching stuff to it was kind of novel because my feeling was usually that if you're shooting on an iPhone, which is lots of reasons to do that. One of the biggest is that it's small and portable, right? Like it fits in your pocket still. And if you've built your camera up to be so big that it doesn't fit in your pocket, you're giving away a lot of those advantages. But now because, sorry, the final note of that, the reason is that in the end, it would still look like iPhone footage, right? You build mm -hmm. a big rig and it, it doesn't really look that different in the end. But now if you rig out your iPhone and you've added external audio and power and an ND filter and a map box and handles and all of this, it looks, you can get completely professional looking footage. Like this can look like a movie and you have all the advantages of that. Your camera's running iOS and it's connected to the internet all the time. And, you know, so now I feel like there are going to be some real advantages to having a proper iPhone rig. And like, I'm just, I'm super excited to really, I've been experimenting with it, but I haven't done anything with it yet, but I definitely will soon. You know, it's interesting, too. I, I would have uh, some wedding videographer friends, and they would say, if you show up to a wedding, and you could have, like, a red camera, but if you don't have a bunch of, like, fancy attachments to it, they'll look at you sideways. Right. Like, are you really a professional? And so you almost have to, like, cage and put the stuff around it so it looks like the real deal. And I feel like now you could probably show up with to a wedding. I'm not going to say do this. Don't, don't <laughs> take my advice. But no, if you show no, no. up with a... This is not bad yep. advice. It, it okay. is it is not a bad idea to have. I if I was you know I've shot weddings and if I was shooting a, a video, I think it completely makes sense to have one of the people on your team running around on a phone. You've got a built-in gimbal, you know, like everything's stable. Um, it will look the same. I mean, this is just the crazy thing that I need to make a video about this. Like, if you're shooting an iPhone 15 at 24 millimeters on the wide lens. And then you put a 24 millimeter on the, you know, Sony, uh, I was going to say FX3. That's not right. Uh, if you, if you put it on the, uh, Lumix S five, two that I'm shooting with and you shoot them with like wide, like objects are in the distance. You don't have close focus. They will look the same. Like you won't know which yeah. one is the iPhone. They will match. And, so I think there's no good reason not to be using an iPhone in a lot of situations where it's like, look, I can be more nimble. I don't need a gimbal. Like I actually think the movement of hand holding an iPhone is more versatile than a gimbal gimbal movement. Like when you need to do something quickly on a gimbal, it looks robotic and it looks fake. The stabilization on iPhone is incredible and it looks much more natural. Um, I mean, this is why it's amazing. Like we're just touching on like, this is going to get used for jobs. It's great. Yeah. Um, if I could share about a couple uh, accessories that I've landed yes, on please. For, for filming. And so I tried a bunch of things at first. 
I tried just a little tiny flash drive. Those do not work in case you were wondering because the read-write speed is not fast enough for the ProRes. If you want to record ProRes directly to that external SSD and not internally. But this guy, this is from uh, OWC. This is the uh, OWC Envoy Pro Mini. And it looks like a flash drive, but this is actually uh, an SSD, like a full-on SSD inside, USB-C port on the bottom. And this is what I filmed with this morning, filming in log, and then applied your LUTs. But you can get this up to a terabyte, and you can just stick this into your iPhone 15 Pro and record that log ProRes directly to this. doesn't drop any frames, plenty fast enough. And then you can just put this in your Mac Studio pull the files off and you're good to go. And oh, like for the simplest setup to record to an external SSD, like this thing is. Yeah. Cool. Send, send me a link to that. I got to, I got to yes. take it for a spin. <laughs> I've, I've mostly been using the things I already had so far. And yeah, for anybody that hasn't already seen these examples, like you can kind of plug everything in, you know, SD cards do work and CF express cards mm-hmm. work and stuff. And yeah, that limitation, like you touched on, it's about, it's usually going to be about the right speed. So right. sometimes you'll think something should be fast enough and then it, it drops some frames. It's probably because the write speeds aren't as, uh, maybe not even as fast when they're sustained. Sometimes they'll have burst write speeds that seem correct. So the rating on the card might seem like it should do it, but then it won't be able to keep up if you're shooting for an extended period, especially in ProRes 60, like you mentioned. Um, right. And yeah, there's like a lacy drive uh, specifically that I, like, I, you know, I know just kind of has, has been reliable. There's, there's a bunch of like modern proven drives that like, you know, if it's been released recently and you're not getting a budget drive, that it'll it'll probably be able to keep up, but if you're yeah. running into any issues, that's the first place to look. So, For sure. but what are some other like wanna... real real world cases that you imagine? Like, what will you actually do with this USB ability? Because I'm excited about that, you know, that wedding filmmaker story. But what else are people going to do? Is this your new gaming box? Is this uh, your new audio <laughs> interface? What's it going to be? Uh, well, well, it's funny when you talk about gaming. I actually included this in my video this morning. This is the Razer phone cooler. Have you seen this thing? I have. Yeah, <laughs> it is ridiculous, uh, but it actually works, which is the even more terrifying part. And so it's like an RGB uh, fan and it's MagSafe. So you can actually stick it onto the back of your phone. But I actually did a test recording 4K60 log ProRes and the setup that I used is a little crazy, but this is one of the use cases you could do. So I finally landed on this USB-C hub because you can put an M2 SSD inside, right? And so this USB-C hub, it has a one terabyte SSD built in all into the one cable. Plus oh, and what's you, the name of it? Just for anybody listening and now watching, just uh, yeah, make sure, make sure the, we know what we're looking at. It's a no-name at. brand, Solore, S-E-L-O-R-E. <laughs> okay. And the, the reason why I chose it is because it has two USB-C ports, one for power in, and then the second one I can use to plug in a microphone. And that's what I wanted, two USB-C ports, right and an HDMI port so I can monitor my iPhone screen. And so the craziest setup that I've done and works is using this hub, recording ProRes log to that SSD internally. I will plug power, plug a microphone in, my Rode Wireless Go 2. I plug the receiver into the other USB-C port for audio. And then I did the HDMI out to my iPad running the Orion app, which is free, mm-hmm. and mirrors the iPhone display. So I could mirror and monitor the camera on my iPad screen, and it does it all. Uh, what I discovered is if you're doing 4K60 in that kind of setup and the iPhone display is being mirrored, I got about 8 to 10 minutes before it overheated and shut off. Uh, just because I... and. 
if you don't do the external display, I was able to get all the way up to an hour and a half. I filled up the entire one terabyte SSD with 4K60 log, and it's no problem. It's when it tries to mirror that display that the uh, iPhone processor gets too hot. And then, like a crazy person, I put this Razer phone cooler on the back, and I was actually, with the mirroring display, got to 33 minutes. And so this weird little fan actually got me about 20 really more minutes of recording time because it kept the phone cool enough uh, for it to keep recording. And so if you want to set up a whole rig and a cage with this kind of USB-C hub, fan, I mean, you can record a ter- terabytes of footage. You know, you can get a, a two terabyte M2 SSD and go crazy. And honestly, I think for someone traveling, I'm going to use the iPhone when I travel. And if I'm going to record a podcast, a video podcast, like we're doing with Riverside, I can use the Riverside app. I have a little phone tripod. I can use my USB microphone. I get great quality audio. I mean, it honestly, I could be a you know travel both podcast, video, whatever uh, when you're going around. So my mirrorless camera is probably not going to leave my studio anymore. That's yeah, no, I think that's going to be common. There's a lot of reasons now to you know I won't travel without a camera, but there's a lot of people that can now right. actually just lean on their phone and things like that crazy little razor fan. Yeah, that existed before, but I don't think it was very useful. But now this weird accessory is actually, you know, can do some good and like let people produce new things that they couldn't before. The one example I saw going around of it was um, hooked up as like a gaming rig where you're using, you know, an Xbox controller over Bluetooth. You plug it out, send it out through HDMI. And I mean, I'm playing Assassin's Creed Mirage right now on my PS5. It's due to come out on the iPhone someday. I don't think we have a date yet. And it probably won't look quite as good, but who cares? It's amazing that it's going to be available on the phone and, you know, being able to use any gaming controller now, uh, you know, it, it actually could be a decent experience. And, you know, I'm, I'm a grown up that can waste my money on video games, but I remember, you know, if I was a young person right now, I might only have an iPhone. Like that might be my whole gaming experience and being able to completely step it up to something that is like a proper console. I mean, it, you know, it's really pretty amazing. Um, and you know, the GPU improvements in the phone are going to make it look excellent too. Like the games on the phone do look incredible right now. I, I don't know. I like, I, I just, I need to like write down a list of like, here's all the things that, that I'm actually excited about because my mind just keeps going through them. We're like, yeah, this is like, this is it. This is the moment. What we're missing though, you, you hinted at Orion, um, uh, being able to be a HDMI output monitor. And I just want that on the phone. Once the phone can be our <laughs> monitor, you know, third party monitors aren't <laughs> going to be, so you know, they're going to struggle to sell because I, even professionals will, will prefer to use their iPhone when they can. So and that's a weird, I just want that USB-C to be an input. Yeah. And that's a weird software limitation because actually with iPad on iPad OS 17, you can plug in a webcam. Just I uh, have a Logitech Stream Cam. I plugged it directly into the iPad. And if you're in the FaceTime app, it will switch over to that webcam. Like the iPad recognizes it, switches over. Video capture devices work that way also. That's how the Orion app is working. So it seems like a strictly software limitation that Apple is not letting the iPhone with iOS 17 do that same kind of you know display input uh, or video capture. And so maybe iOS 18, hopefully they change that. But like you said, your iPhone as a monitor would be amazing. Um, so, well, we were just hinting at the uh, the heat issues of the iPhone as well. I, d- I just want to touch on it so people don't accuse me of never talking about it. <laughs> I had absolutely no heat issues ever with either the Pro or the Pro Max, not even 
like nothing. I mean, like not even a little bit warmer than, than previously. And I've seen some people digging into it. Um, Farouk, uh, iPhone was really looking further into this. And this looks like this absolutely was happening on the iPhone 14 pro as well, based on certain software sort of running out of their bounds on iOS. Um, it's, you know, there might be something kind of accelerating it in certain circumstances with the iPhone 15, but I, I mean, I, I shouldn't be bringing it up anymore. Cause like the, the I just think it like, this was not, uh, this was not an interesting news story and I'm glad it's already kind of out of the news, but I, I just didn't encounter it in any way. Neither did I. I think it was interesting that Apple spoke about it specifically in the software release notes, uh, 17.0.1. They expressly talked about warming that some people were experiencing it. And that software, it's a, that in addition to some apps that needed to be updated uh, to affect some of that overheating. I feel like overheating is a little bit of extreme term. It was like it got warm sometimes. But like you said, mine never did. And so I didn't experience that. And has the iPhone 15 shifted the way that you use any, like, are there any apps that have suddenly become more useful? Did you rearrange your home screen? Do you, did you shift the way that your phone is configured around the 15? You know, the action button was the main thing that I was trying to change things for. I think interactive widgets have become uh, more useful to me. Uh, widgets have become more useful in general now that I can interact with them, even just checking off to-do items or whatever. Fantastic Hal is an amazing interactive widget. So <clears throat> I am all in on focus modes, and that was something I kind of dove in on with iOS 16. And so I'd spent so much time kind of like really granularly uh, ironing that in. And so it my function has pretty much uh, been the same. Uh, but the the video side, again, it, it is allowing me to use it more as like a third camera if I'm here in the studio and I'm trying to get like an over-the-shoulder shot or if I want to shoot outside, it's more been uh, affecting those kinds of things. But I love focus filters and focus modes. I highly recommend if people haven't set those up. That's the same for me as shortcuts that it's um, – I turn them on on the day one. And I'm like, this is cool. What can I do with it? And then I never thought of anything, so I don't turn them on anymore. So you don't but do – Focus modes? No, you don't not at all. I, I, I uh, but I do have a problem where my computer goes into do not disturb multiple times every day, and I've turned off every setting on every device. I'm like nothing, nothing automatically. Do do not disturb, and every day, many times, I just like, I, and I always notice it when I export something from Final Cut. I'm like, oh, it didn't notify me about the export. It must be in do not disturb, and I don't know why. That is strange. Uh, yeah. sometimes you could trigger it and, you know, because focus mode sync across all your devices, it might be another device going into do not disturb. Yeah, and that's what I tried to track it down. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, but, <laughs> uh, but, but I will still say there. I, I tried a final cut pro on iPad again the other day now with this whole new workflow. And I almost feel like because I can now shoot more video on the iPhone directly to a USB C drive, a final cut pro on the iPad, iPad is actually a little more attractive now. I went to a skate park the other day with my kids. They were doing stuff. I used the 5X camera to get great video up close of them doing skate stuff. I flew my drone around, and it was really cool because I had a little USB-C SD card reader from Anchor. Plugged that into my iPad, imported my drone footage, took my iPhone footage from this, put it in the, the iPad, and I was I didn't have my Mac because I was just we were at a skate park, and I edited it right there on my iPad. And so I actually feel like the ecosystem as a whole is getting uh, more powerful. And uh, even Final Cut on the iPad might have more use cases for me now that I'm doing more with my iPhone uh, than it did before. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely. Apple's thinking about that story of like, shoot it all to a drive externally with your phone, plug that drive in. Now you're editing Final Cut. 
Um, the example of that that I was running into is popping the SD card out of my bigger camera. And now I can just use any card reader and plug it in through USB-C. Whereas before, I, you know, I never got around to buying that lightning USB adapter. I'm like, I don't know, that's so specific. And like, will I really ever end up using it? But now just take the card reader I already have and instantly all the photos that I took today are accessible. And I don't need to remember to do my kind of file management in Lightroom later. I can just, oh, I want to post this. I, you know, five minutes and it's on Instagram. So there's all these little things like that. That's kind of the stuff that I think will be most exciting. It's not actually going to be that we totally transform the place of the iPhone in our lives. It'll be like, oh, this one thing I can start to do on a regular basis that really changes my relationship with even other devices. Like I was saying, like with my bigger cameras, now my big cameras have a more direct access to my phone. Yeah. And I love that. I don't know. There, there, there's so much. This is an, this is, <laughs> it's, and it's funny because like when you watch the keynote, it felt like a small, like small changes in some ways. I don't think people thought of this as one of the bigger iPhone announcements. Yeah. And, and I knew, I mean, USB-C, I knew it was going to open up a world of it because at Riverside, you know, a lot of times people want to record with their phone, uh, especially guests, you know, people who don't record podcasts regularly, all they have is their phone. And so how can I tune in? And before the USB-C, trying to get an external microphone into the iPhone was a real pain. You know, a lot of times it took a lightning to headphone adapter, then a headphone TRRS splitter. So you could have like a headphone here and a mic here. And it was just like four dongles and, and a bunch of cables, and it was just kind of a mess. And like all of that has now been simplified. Like you can have one USB-C mic, you plug it into the iPhone, you plug your headphones into the mic, and you're podcasting. Like that's all you need to do. Well, and can, it's amazing. can I also say I, I picked up the uh, oh. new AirPods Pro with USB-C. <laughs> just, I mean, so worth Like I know it's if you have bought AirPods recently, it would be very annoying to have to go out and buy a USB-C one. But if you follow me on Twitter, I've been saying for a year now, just wait because there will be USB-C. And now I feel vindicated for not having because I, I didn't upgrade. Oh, to you the, didn't the Gen Two? No, I was because I was like, I want, I want USB-C. Oh, I know it'll happen. The twos are so good. And I though. held my breath. Aren't the twos good though? Uh, yeah, yeah, they're very good. Yeah. Oh no, now I'm now I'm very happy with it. <laughs> yeah, it's we're we're in a great place for. I mean, every accessory right now, it's, yes. it's pretty awesome. The, the one, the other one now I can't decide about upgrading is like, I've got the gen one ultra, ultra mm -hmm. uh, watch and it's like, you know, most of the things I'm like, I am fine not upgrading every year when it comes to a watch. Like I want my watch to last at least three to five years, but that's tapping thing. I'm like, I just want to know. I just want to know what it's like. Does it work? You know, I don't know. People haven't been, the reviews haven't seemed that excited like oh this is a necessity now but uh, yeah. i'm curious I, I did the ultra 2 uh more so yeah. for the on device siri which seems like a strange thing but i actually use my ultra 2 for home kit commands a lot um because i have home pods all over the place and if i try to talk to the air like there'll be a home pod three rooms away that picks it up and so i actually find it most consistent if i'm around the house to do smart home commands right here on my watch, either holding the crown or saying, whispering the magic words. And so <laughs> right. I've actually found the on-device Siri is faster enough and a little more accurate enough where it has, I don't know if it was worth the upgrade, but it's been a nice improvement in my like daily smart home uh, devices. So that was worth right. it. Yeah. We'll see about double tap. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I mean, I, I know I will end up waiting, but I'll be excited when I eventually sure. actually get access to it. I'm excited um, about the- How are you feeling about the- 
It's okay. Oh yeah, yeah. You go. You go now. What, what were you? Thinking? No, I was just gonna say I'm also excited to see if the second generation ultra wideband chip uh, makes more of a difference overall. Uh, there was a recent rumor where AirTags will be updated like a year from now, which is unfortunate. But I think once U2, that's uh, not you're not supposed to say U2 because of Bono <laughs> or whatever. But like once the U2 chips are pervasive, I think the whole Find My network is going to be even more interesting, and I'd be curious what they do with that in Apple Vision Pro. So anyway. Yeah, keep meaning to test it because the only way you can do it right now would be two iPhone 15s finding each other, right? Correct. Nothing else has the update. So you could do your watch. You can find your watch, or you can oh, find okay. your phone from your watch. Those right. are the two the two other options, which is kind of cool. Like if you ping your phone from your watch, it'll kind of show you a direction to go, uh, which is the first time it's doing that. And if you pick up your phone, it stops the a sound automatically because it knows oh, that you've actually. Your phone. That's cool. I didn't know the watch was doing that in. So will mine do that? Like, does the Ultra One? That's a good or is question. this an Ultra Two thing? I don't know. <laughs> okay, I'll little, find out after an, after recording. That might be an Ultra Wideband Two chip thing. I'm not sure. Well, and let's let's talk again a little about the near future because you know we still got uh, the Vision eventually coming. Yep. Um, just what's your, just vibe check on it. Uh, <laughs> do you think about how, how many times a day do you think about it? Uh, is this, well, this is going to be part of your life moving forward? I think about it every day because I'm running an experiment. When, uh, the Apple savings account launched with 4% interest, I moved 100% of my purchases, bills, everything to the Apple card. And I'm going to see if I can put enough in that Apple savings account just through the daily cash to pay for an Apple vision pro. Uh, I don't think it's going to make it, but I'm going to see if it actually works. Uh, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> doesn't make that purchase a little less uh, uh, painful. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. Tim Cook is, I mean, obviously he has to talk it up, but he's like, once people get this in their hands, spatial computing is going to change everything. And, like, I used a Quest 2. You know, I played Beat Saber, and I, like, force gripped a storm Stormtrooper or whatever. And, like, it's cool. Uh, I feel like wearing a headset for prolonged periods of time is is not going to be comfortable enough for most people where it's not going to, I don't know, like I can't see myself wearing it for six hours a day. So that means the experience has to be that much better. And I am also, I don't know about you, a single monitor guy. Like I don't have multiple monitors. I have one studio display. I use spaces. I have, you know, I do all that kind of stuff. I don't have multiple monitors. And so one of the big features was like, you can have 18 50 inch you know monitors in front of you and, and multitask away and it's like i don't do that now physically so i don't know if computate like spatially that's going to be fun so i'm excited to watch stuff with it like a movie but i don't know if that's going to be enough of a selling point either yeah so I don't, yeah. i'm not sure Yeah, i mean that that it's that movie stuff that's most interesting to me but i still have a feeling i have a feeling i'm gonna be very impressed by it and i won't use it very often you know, cause I also, even if the experience is great, I actually don't want to spend that long in it. You know, I wouldn't want, I, I don't look forward to a future where I spend six hours a day in another, you know, not in this world. So, um, you know, there's sort of a, like, it could be too good kind of thing, but, um, I'm definitely excited for the first time trying it. Cause I, same. You know, yeah. I'm excited for the first time. Yeah. And I am curious if it will have any effect on the podcasting world. Uh, right. As someone, yeah. I've podcasted a long time. You know, it was audio only for a while. Now, video has totally upended the whole like, what is a podcast deal? Will <laughs> what is a podcast? You know, what a, and yeah. I, it's it's an RSS feed. That's still my definition. Podcast right. equals RSS, but that's just me. Uh, I I wonder if like VR podcasting will it ever be a thing? Who knows? Like that will be the the interesting 
for me and like my world. Is this going to be something that I need to podcast in uh, or I don't know. So I've, I've thought about that too. My prediction is that if the vision takes off for other use cases, so people are already wearing it for a while and they're doing their work, they definitely will turn on a VR podcast in the background where now the hosts are just sitting like just out of their field of vision. And there's like, they're, they're still doing their normal work that they would while they listen to a podcast, but there's this like little augmentation where you got Tom Segura, they're in the room with in the you. corner doing yeah. the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, you know, it might be, yeah. you know, it might, I don't, I don't think it's going to become the, the killer app. No. It's not what we're all going to do, but it would be cool though. Like as again, I, all the podcasts I do are remote, and so I can't get that in-room feel that you see on, like, all these other video podcasts where it's, like, four or five guys sitting in a big living room, and, like, yeah. I'm at that disadvantage. You know, like, I can't share a clip of us all in a room laughing. Like, it's it's all here right. on a screen. And so maybe, maybe spatial computing can, like, someone somehow someday give us that advantage even if we're recording remotely. So we'll see. Yeah. No, I want to try it. Yeah, well, what else are you excited for? Other than uh, maybe outside of the Apple universe, because um, that's not the only thing that I talk about here. Um, what else are you looking at lately? Man, uh, I would still like to get an electric car someday. I drive a 2011 Kia Soul, and so I am way overdue. Right. <laughs> so I'm waiting to see what the electric car world does look like. Honestly, the, the AI stuff, um, my kids asked me last night, does, is AI, like, is it thinking yet? I'm like, no. And so I pulled up the CGP Grey video about what machine learning actually is. Uh, but I am curious where that's going to go. I actually, uh, are you familiar with Eleven Labs, the AI tool? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've played with it a bit. Have you done, like, the identical voice print thing? I, where I tried to recreate my voice, is that what you if mean? If you upload, like, three hours of audio for yourself? Right. Yeah, I didn't do that much. It asked me to like read a script. There's two, yeah. So it was shorter. So maybe there's two options. Uh, maybe I didn't do the right one. There's two options. There's an instant one where it will create a voice like in just a few minutes. And then there's one where if you upload hours of your own voice and it will create, so they are saying an AI equivalent of your voice. You have to wait like three to four weeks. So I'm in that period. Like I did oh, it. I'm doing this right now. And, I'm, <laughs> and so it's three to four weeks. Well, maybe two weeks from now. And I do a couple shows. I am probably going to see if this thing will fool some listeners into thinking we'll it is will take me. over for you. <laughs> and, and not that I wanted to. Like, listen, I, I love podcasting so much. Like, I'm not going to stop talking to a microphone. But for some use cases, I mean, if it is close enough to indistinguishable, like, I don't know if you tried the iOS 17 uh, personal voice. Did you try that with the iPhone? I didn't try it. I saw other people try it. Yeah, you read you read like 150 prompts. It sounds really bad. Like it sounds like a bad Siri, and so it's not good. Yeah. But this 11 Labs, I'm very curious how it comes out, and surely within the next year or two, that is going to be indistinguishable. And then you'll be able to translate your own voice into whatever language you want, and it will sound like me speaking Japanese and Russian and Spanish and all of that. No, I... I, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, yeah, I'm, well, so I'm looking at it right now. Did you? This is the. Is this a paid one? Right. Like this is you, a paid this one. It, you have to pay in the free program. Yeah, I paid like what a twenty dollars a month, uh, and then you can actually do your voice thing, and it'll and it'll send it to me. But it also they're offering the translation already, and so I'm going to train. You know, I'll see how my voice sounds in English. <laughs> then I want to see how it sounds in Spanish, and then I'm going to yeah. see like YouTube is offering this too. Next year, YouTube is going to allow you to translate voices with an AI dub. But if I can get a dub right. from Eleven Labs that sounds like me speaking Spanish, 100%, I'm doing it. So 
I'm excited. I love this. Okay. I'm going to try, I'm going to try this as soon as we're done in the next podcast. I won't even be there. (laughs) Basically we can just, I mean, you'll have a voice too. So we can just, yeah, yeah. Just (laughs) anybody can start a show with anybody. You just tell chat GPT, like, here's roughly my opinions. Uh, you know, (laughs) pixel three, pixel eight was like pretty good. Uh, create, create 90 minutes about it. Right. So I'm very curious where it goes. You know, I also use tools like Gling.ai. Have you tried that? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I I use that on some of my recent videos. I use it on every video. Uh, Just because my style of videos, it's all talking head. And so, like, it's a tool basically made for my kind of content. And that has sped up my workflow tremendously, plus ChatGPT and all that stuff. So I I am excited about our AI overlords over the next few years and what that will mean. But I'm also, like... You know, the deep fake technology has also been wild. And uh, I don't know if you saw right. the Tom Cruise deep fakes a couple of years ago, but I am slightly. It's come a long way. It's come a long way. And so that is also like it is a tempered excitement because a few years from now, I don't want my face out there. That's not really me, but saying things that I wouldn't right. want to say. So tempered yeah, excitement, I mean, we'll say. A few years from now could be uh, the start of next year. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, and, and that, that's the other scary thing yeah. too is like the the speed at which it seems to be moving is is quite startling. I am also excited. Sorry to bring it back to Apple, but Apple is going to have to do something in this space soon, even if it is just supercharging Siri with large language model technology. They're probably never going to say AI from the stage just because I think they're averse sure. to that terminology. Machine learning. Yeah, they could say, they, and they said machine learning like 17 times at WWDC, but they're going to have to incorporate some kind of large language model machine learning into Siri and in some of their tools. And I see a huge use case for it. Like they have the iWork suite. How amazing would it be if you write an outline in pages and you tell the Siri assistant, make this into a keynote presentation, use images from this folder on my Mac. Like there's some huge powers there that could be uh, made accessible, I think, very soon. You know, maybe, yeah. And the things that they've, I've heard people hint at with where Windows could be going of taking this like data lake approach, which like that phrase, that word is so lodged in my mind in terms of like what the biggest difference computing might look like 10 years from now i think about in in that sense and everybody hasn't thought about this or read about it it's like you know the idea that just all your data everything that you're spitting out all you know either creating content or writing emails or doing reports or whatever it is you do goes into a big bucket a big lake and ai works with it and you're not managing it very much you know just like an assistant that really understands you and this can go in so many different directions. Yeah. This also <laughs> creates so many security risks. Like, I mean, this is a huge question. Have you seen but, the, uh... I mean, this just means using a computer would be a fundamentally different thing and it right. could be right around the corner. For sure. Have you seen the rewind AI pendant? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, pendant. No. I mean, it was, a, I thought it was an app. So they announced their first hardware product, which is okay. the rewind AI pendant. It's a lanyard you literally wear around your neck and it records audio pretty much 24-7. They say that you'll have to voice some kind of permission. So if it hears like multiple voices, someone will have to say, I consent to being recorded. And only then it records, which it still okay. has to be listening in order for that sure. command to be heard. Yeah, right. But then it transcribes all the audio it records. And you can have that on your phone and searchable and summarized and basically your entire life. And like, that sounds weird. The journal app is coming out in the next version of iOS 17, probably, which is also conglomerating the music you listen to, the podcast, the photos you've taken. Like it's putting all that into a 
you know, mm-hmm. a nice format, hopefully. But I think the future, like, A, like, no one is going to be able to, like, BS their way to remembering something different. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if you've ever had to work with people who are like, I never said that. I, sure. You yeah. know, I feel like we're going to a place now where, like, that's not going to be possible. And, you know, I think in the workplace, companies would love something like this to record every meeting and right. everything's transcribed automatically. I mean, so the the tech side of me, like there, there is so much to get excited about that. Yeah. Like there are really interesting applications that are positive, but it's also so easy to think of like, not even, not even think of like dystopian versions of it, of like, you know, potentially being abused by whoever, yeah. but the just more immediate human things of that, like, I think there's still uh, a, a helpful part of getting through navigating life is the ability to forget as well, mm. you know, like yeah. getting in that, I, I don't know if you've ever been in an argument with somebody and realizing that going back through the text threads and fi- like digging into the real details sometimes isn't the best thing. Yeah. Sometimes just being like, you know what, whatever, yeah. like yeah. that, sometimes that actually, that, that, that fuzziness and that, um, lack of like a, a really like a hard answer in the end is a very natural part of interacting with, with other people. And, presenting a, a world where we always have a, you know, a, like, no, we can go back and check the records. I don't, you know, it's like, that could be not optimal. I don't know. That is true. I never watched a lot of these episodes, but there was a black mirror episode where they had like context. Yeah, I haven't watched any really. There was just one episode. I remember uh, they wore contacts that recorded everything they saw. And like, you see all the situations that, that, that arises, like a husband and wife arguing. They say, let's just look at the video and then all the issues, you know, that can come out. So I agree, like probably not the best, but you know, I think with anybody, especially if, if people are still averse or hesitant about AI tools, like even just using what now seems like the simple thing, chat GPT, like just kind of like the base level, like there are things in your workflow right now, probably where chat GPT and other AI tools can help expedite make things faster. I mean, whatever it is, like, and find ways to incorporate them. Because I do think in the next couple of years, those who can incorporate AI into their workflow will be able to produce far more, whether it's not just content, but whatever work you're doing, there will be way more production happening from people who can use these AI tools to their advantage, as as opposed to those who have not incorporated them. And so I think it's, it behooves everybody to figure out, like, how can I use these? It's going to be a skill, I think, that most people are going to need in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I absolutely would encourage everybody to understand them and ha- know how to work with them. Um, I also think we can't miss, uh, before, before we end, we can't miss the Adobe announcements lately. I mean, speaking of AI, like this is the moment I've been waiting for where it's like, where are the professional tools? You know, all these mid journeys fun, but it's so often difficult for me to create anything useful. Like, well, like what, what can I do with it? I mean, the, the latest round of Adobe announcements, uh, and maybe even the one that stands out the most might be Illustrator, which isn't directly applicable to me, but being able to do generative vector images. Um, and, you know, we're also seeing, exa- actually, I don't know if Adobe showed it, but Dolly 3 and others are starting to be able to do, um, you know, accurate text generation as well. You know, we're hitting that corner right now where, oh, this is going to be standard in every workflow we will be using this all the time. It's not a novelty. It's not just something to play with on social media. It's like, no, this is like how we get our work done. And we're, we're seeing it come out at this moment. Um, I don't know. What, what did you see the Adobe announcements? What I saw more of the premiere stuff, especially like editing transcript, you know, filler words. And obviously there've been tools like AutoPod and stuff, but that's been more what I've seen. And, and honestly, it's, I think it's exciting for the 
point of if if you do creative work, all of this should hopefully allow you to be spend more time being creative, like doing the things like idea generation or being in front of the camera or behind the camera if that's your work. Like, hopefully it'll allow us to do more of that, to do that better, be more creative, and not have to worry about all like the menial, tedious tasks. So. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm very optimistic about the like the near term of AI, like the next like five years. I think it's going to do some amazing, exciting, creative, ex- mind expanding things. I only get nervous about the like 10, 20 years. I'm like, then I don't know. All bets are off. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, we can rewatch Terminator. Maybe it's time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's plenty, plenty of time to stress out about it. Yes, exactly. But um, I, I really appreciate you making the time, Stephen. And uh, great to have a full conversation with you too. It's, uh, you know, it's very different meeting people than just sending text messages online. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Tyler. I love all your work and, and, uh, final cut resources are amazing. You know, someone for me who, whenever I had a question about final cut, I've gone to your videos. And so it's been an honor to talk to you today. 